You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Good morning. You can be seated. If you haven't noticed, I'm not Pastor Jeremy. So uh, my name is Luke Harding, and I'm the kids' pastor here at Ridgecrest. Usually they store me downstairs in the basement on Sunday mornings, uh, but today they've let me out, and they've even allowed me to have the pulpit. So um, if you will, take your copy of God's Word and open it to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90 is where we're going to be studying today. We're going to study this lone psalm of Moses that we find buried in the, in the middle of the psalms. Now, as I, as I was planning this message and how I wanted to begin this message, um, part of me wanted to be a respectable adult just to prove to some of you that it's possible. But also, I really also wanted to be, um, embrace the fact that I'm the kids pastor and give some of you just a little taste of what your kids get every week. So, so that's, the, that's the route we're going to go, okay? So actually, beginning this sermon, we're going to play a game, okay? Uh, It's going to be great, okay? It might be my last Sunday that I ever get to preach here, but it's going to be great, okay? So this game is really simple. It's a video-driven game. It's going to be on the screen, and and here's how this game works. There's going to be a picture on the screen. Your goal is to guess what the picture is before the person sitting next to you. The trick is that it's going to be zoomed in really, really close, okay? And it's going to show you the up-close details, and it will slowly zoom out, okay? The only way you're going to know if you win is if you actually say out loud what you think it is, okay? So you're trying to beat the person sitting next to you in the pew. All right, I'll give you one last hint before we start the game. All of the pictures are Christmas-themed, okay? So let's play our game. Here we go. Neighbor. 
right, great job. Thank you for playing my game. Reach back, give yourself a big pat on the back and say good job. Here's the point of our game. When you look at the specific details of the picture, the game did not make any, the, the picture did not make any sense. But as we began to zoom out, not only the whole entire picture made sense, but the specific details also made sense, okay? Life is the same way. Listen, when we look at the specific details of our current life, very rarely does it make any sense at all. But as we begin to zoom out and we read God's word and we see God's eternal big picture and his plan, not only does his plan make sense, but the specific details of your life are going to make far more sense. So if you're going to sum this sermon up in one sentence, it would say this, we can find worship even on a gloomy day when we look to God's eternity rather than man's short life. So let's jump in. We're going to read in Psalm chapter 90. I hope you still have it open. Psalm chapter 90, this is what the Bible says. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence." For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring your, our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servant and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of your hands. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what you are going to teach us today. I pray that you would teach us from this passage. Lord, and I pray that you help us to to lift our eyes to to the big picture of your eternity and what you are doing. Um, And Lord, help us to trust and worship um, every day of our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, as, we, as we read the song, let me kind of give you a brief outline of where we're going to go today, okay? At the beginning of this passage, Moses begins the passage in verse 1 and 2 with a statement of praise, and then he's going to move on to verses 3 through 11 in which he's crying out to God for a couple different reasons, and then he's going to end the passage in verse 12 through 17 with four worshipful responses uh, to our life. Now, I want to say at the beginning of the sermon, before we get any farther, um, when I use the term worship, I'm meaning far more than just singing, okay? Singing is worship, but everything we do in our life can and should be worship, okay? So keep that in your mind as we, uh, as we keep going, okay? So let's begin here with the statement of praise. Moses has a solid beginning in which he gives us this statement uh, of praise and describing and telling us about God. Look in verse 1. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, 
before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now listen, we don't have a date on this psalm, um, but most likely, what most scholars, and what makes the most sense to believe, is that Moses wrote this psalm sometime during the wilderness wandering, or probably uh, towards the very end of the wilderness wandering, okay? So he has been leading the nation of Israel for a very long time, and he says, you have been our eternal dwelling place. Now listen, the nation of Israel moved around a ton, okay? Regardless of their location, God had always been their dwelling place. More than that, regardless of their location and regardless of their obedience, God had always been that eternal dwelling place for his people. If you've read your Old Testament, you know that the Israelites were not a very obedient people and they were constantly trying to turn away from God and even wanting to return back to their slavery in Egypt. But Moses says, even in spite of all that, God has always been an eternal, consistent, and faithful dwelling place for his people. Now, this, this theme of dwelling place, this idea of God dwelling with his people, we can see this throughout the entire Bible. It begins in Genesis when God is actually physically walking with Adam and Eve as they're in the garden. We track it all the way through. Um, we see Moses building the tabernacle um, in which God came and dwelled with his people there in the tabernacle. We track it all the way through into the New Testament when God sends a baby Jesus to be born in a manger. Physically sends his son to come down and dwell with his people. And then it tracks all the way through to the very end in Revelation. I was reading in Revelation chapter 21 um, just last week. It's taken me two years to finish a one-year Bible reading plan, but I was in Revelation 21, and this is what the Bible said. It, talk, it said that one day we will hear a, a loud voice from from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Okay, what Moses is saying here is that God is an eternal, consistent, and faithful dwelling place for his people. He has been and always will be. Hebrews chapter 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now listen, I don't know about you, but my life is actually quite a roller coaster of ups and downs, okay? There's all sorts of stuff happening. God's not like that. He is consistent always, and he is eternal. Not only is my life kind of up and down, um, I, I believe I change as a person. I'm a very different person than I was even just five years ago, okay? God is not like that. He is consistent. He is the same, and we can always trust him to be a faithful dwelling place for his people, so this is the truth that Moses is clinging to as he begins this lament. This, this, uh, this style of psalm is called a lament. I don't really have time to explain very much of what a lament is to you um, for the sake of time. Um, we find them throughout the whole Bible, and, and it's something God's actually been teaching me. If that's something, if reading this passage and studying it, you find it interesting and would like to know more about laments um, and how they can guide us even as believers, you can check out, this morning I posted on my Facebook page an article that God has used to kind of teach me over the last four or five months um, what a lament is and how we can use it. Um, but let's just leave it at... Um, this is a lament. We'll get some on-the-job training here. So he is lamenting um, a lot of things going on that he doesn't like. But at the beginning, Moses, this is the truth that he is clinging to. Okay? So listen. Regardless of how dark and depressing this text gets, don't forget this truth. That from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. 
So we, we move, we, we keep following the text and we move into the next section there of Moses crying out to God. Okay, and Moses is going to cry out to God on three different matters. He begins by crying out to God over impending death. Okay, so um, he's crying out over impending death. Look at verse three. He says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Moses seems to be saying that we're all just old men waiting to die. Okay? He, he seems to be, he's bringing back that imagery of Genesis that, of how God created Adam out of the dust. And he said, we, we began as dust, and any stroll through a graveyard is going to show you that we're going to return to dust. Okay? This is a very pessimistic reality that Moses is wrestling with here. But actually, it's far more than just an old man lamenting death. This is actually a contrast that we find. Moses is comparing us and God. That, that small picture view to the big picture view. In that contrast, that's what Moses is talking about here. Um, we actually do have a pretty long life, and we actually have quite a bit of influence on the world around us, but compared to God, we are but dust. That's what he's saying here. Um, he, say, he goes on to say, in verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night. Now this is poetic wording. This isn't factual data. Um, Moses isn't saying that 1,000 years of God's clock equals one day of our clock. Okay, this is, this is poetic wording here. But for the fun of it, let's take a little adventure back a thousand years in history. Okay, now listen, I'm not a historian, but I do have Google. Okay, so a thousand years ago in history, um, sometime around one, year 1002, a man named Leif Erikson from Greenland claims to have taken an expedition of 34 men um, and discovered North America. Okay, that is 490 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Okay, that was a long time ago. That was a thousand years ago in history. Uh, in, in 1052, roughly, um, the construction of the original Westminster Abbey began. Okay, so that's an establishment that has spanned the centuries. A thousand years ago, something that we had, that we, that we still have in a form today. Uh, in 1095 is when the first wave of the Crusades were beginning. Okay, listen. That was a long, long time ago. Think about that. Think how things have changed over and over and over and over and over again in that last thousand years. But what Moses is saying here is God hasn't changed any. God is the same. A thousand years ago, that's just but, but a day ago to God. That is the everlasting and eternal God that we are serving. Look at the word picture, verse 5. Moses, Moses continues and he describes the unstoppable fleeting nature of life. This is what he says, verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Do you, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, like the wave of life is just washing your life away? Do you ever feel like you're being swept away by an overpowering flood? Do you ever feel like your life is but a fleeting dream? Do you ever feel like you are like a withered plant that is dying? Do you ever have those moments? Listen, there will be days in life that you feel a powerful flood that is consuming your life. There will be those days. We should expect them, okay? And those are the days that we come and we lament before the Lord. Now, let me warn you. Listen, this is a dangerous reality uh, to be aware of. It's dangerous because apart from the Lord, 
this thinking, and this reality can actually lead to deep depression. But the point is that we're not like that. We do have the Lord. Listen, the unavoidable reality of death and the overwhelming nature of life is haunting. But with the Lord, Moses is, Moses is crying out because of despair, but he never loses sight of the hope that we have in the Lord. I would like to submit to you that a well-rounded believer needs to know both. A well-rounded believer must know the eternal big picture of God and his consistencies, yet also know the agonizing despair of life. And then we worship right in the middle of it. We must know both and trust God through it. So he moves from from that crying out on impending death, and he's going to move on to crying out to God over the weight of sin. Now, quite possibly, this is actually a greater weight, okay? We don't always think that. We don't always feel that. But it's actually sin itself which has brought death into the world. So that's why I say it is, it is a, a, even a greater weight that we have here. Verse 7, he says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. Listen, Moses himself knows how easy it is for sin to overtake people, okay? He was leading the Israelites. He knows very well how easy it is for people to turn to sin. Not only did Moses know people's capacity to sin, he also knew the wrath that God has against that sin. Very literally, okay? If Moses wrote this during the wilderness wandering, very literally, he was watching the Israelites be brought to an end by their sin. Verse 8, he says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Not only was the corporate sin of Israel known to God, each individual secret sin of the individual person was known to God. The very same is true of us. The point of this lament is not to clean ourselves up before we come to God. The point of this lament is to realize and see God for who he is, to see ourselves for the sinful, broken person we are, and allow God to reconcile the difference between that. Okay, we don't have to fix that ourselves. We allow God to reconcile that difference. He moves on. The last thing he's going to cry out to God over is the toil of a short life. Um, Look in verse 10. He says, The year of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Now listen, this is a reality that doesn't really sink in until you start getting a little bit older. I'm really probably not even old enough to start really understanding this reality. But I am a little bit because I now have a, a daughter of my own. And she's two and a half years old. To her... Two and a half years has been a lifetime, okay? It's been a long, long time. But for me, two and a half years has been a very short amount of time, okay? Moses, he's lamenting the short life, but actually it's far more than that. He's lamenting the toil that fills and consumes that very short life. Listen, here with, with Western medicine, maybe our odds are a little bit better. Maybe, maybe we can live a little bit longer. But 70 to 80 years is what Moses says here. Um, and, uh, but he's, he's not actually talking and complaining the most about the length of the life. It's about how hard and toiling and what that life consists of. Okay, to, to a diligent reader of God's word, you'll even begin to hear the, the heart cry of Ecclesiastes here, where, where the, the Bible's talking about how life can just feel so meaningless. What is filling that life? It's just meaningless. 
So, so Moses, he's crying out to God over these three things. Okay, um, the point of a lament isn't to clean himself up. He comes and he cries out to God and brings those, his distress to him. But we come to the point in our text where we say, so what? Okay, so what? We, we need to have a response to this. Basically, this text has taught us that God is eternal and life is agonizing. Okay, great. Wow, what a great sermon. Okay, um, I would actually like to say this is actually the spot we find ourselves very often as Christians. Listen, we know something is true about God in our mind. Yet we know the, the heartache and the emotions of what happens in our daily life. How do we bridge that gap? Okay, there's lots of things that we know are true of God, yet we're trying to apply them to the heartache of our current life. The way we connect that is through worship. Okay, so Moses is going to give us four worshipful responses to the toil of life. Listen, the answer is not to bury your head in the sand and to ignore the hardship, okay? That's one option, but that's not the answer. The answer is not to give in to the despair and depression. And the answer is not to work harder ourselves to pursue righteousness. The answer is that we worship in the middle of it. So point number one, we see here, um, we must redeem the time. And like a good Southern Baptist pastor, listen, everything from here forward is going to start with an R, okay? So redeem the time. Verse 12, this is what the Bible says. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now listen, this is not a pessimistic numbering of our days. This is, he, Moses isn't saying we need to count the, down the days until we die. Redeeming the time is a realistic evaluation of how many days we have left to serve the Lord and worship him here. Okay? Redeeming the time is a realistic evaluation of how many days we have left to serve the Lord and worship him here. If we don't number our days, our default is to gonna, going to be that they're going to keep going on for a long time. Okay, if we don't number our days, our default is going to be live to, to live for the pleasures of the moment that we're in. Okay, so let me explain this. Let me give you an example. Okay, uh, we just got through Christmas. I'm a terrible gift giver at Christmas. And here's the reason, because I don't number my days. Okay, there's every year there comes this time about a week before Christmas that I go, oh snap, uh, Christmas is next week and I need to start my Christmas shopping. Okay. Uh, anybody else like that? You guys do that? No. Oh, okay. Whatever. Um, <laughs> if I had numbered my days, I would have told myself, Luke, you now have six weeks till Christmas. You should probably start your Christmas shopping. And then a little bit later, I would have said, now you only have three weeks till Christmas. You need to finish your Christmas shopping. And then I would have told myself, oh, you now only have one week. You better wrap those gifts. But that's not how I usually do it, okay? Because I'm not numbering my days and looking forward and evaluating how many days I have left. But thankfully, um, my wife is not the same way. Hannah is actually a very good gift giver. And listen, she buys gifts all year round. It would not surprise me if she bought a Christmas gift next week, okay? I've never even had that thought in my life, but she buys Christmas gifts all year long. She always has her eye towards Christmas and birthdays. And as a result, she actually buys better gifts she gets better deals on them. And then when Christmas rolls around, she's not half as stressed about gift giving as I am. Thankfully, she now takes care of all the gift giving, so I don't have to number my days anymore. Uh, but 
That's the way we should be, okay? Not every day is Christmas, but she always has her eye towards Christmas. Not every day is the end of our life, but we need to always have our eye towards that and be evaluating how much time we have left to serve the king and worship him here. So this text is asking a question of you, and it is, have you been a good steward with the time that God has given you here on earth? Have you been a good steward of the time that God has given you here on earth? Contrary to verse 10, look back at verse 10. Contrary to verse 10, life is not simply just toil and trouble. If we learn to number our days and have a heart of wisdom, our our life here can be filled with rewarding service to the king. Point number two, moving on from that, is to renew the relationship. We must renew the relationship. In verse 13, this is what Moses says. He says, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your service. Servants, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Moses is leading us to renew the relationship. Moses is not only mourning death and despair here. He's actually mourning a lost relationship. Look back to the Israelites. Their wanderings, their disobedience were all a result of a lost relationship with the Lord. He is leading us to renew that relationship. Have you ever had those moments in your life when you feel like your prayers are unheard? Have you ever had those moments where you do not feel connected to the Lord, when it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceilings, when you don't feel like spending time with the Lord? Have you ever had those moments? If you have not, you will, okay? That's a reality of the Christian life. But let me get really, really practical here for you. The way we renew the relationship is through our daily walk with the Lord. The way we renew the relationship is with our daily walk with the Lord. In the gloomiest of days... Your personal quiet time is going to be your best friend. Okay, look back. Verse 14, he says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Listen, there's nothing magical about mornings. I often have my daily quiet time other times in the day because I probably didn't get up in time, okay? It can happen other times in the day. The point here isn't saying you have to have your quiet time in the morning. The point here is saying of the consistency of every morning, of every day. Consistency is the key, not the time of day. All right? Um, in, In the midst of despair, your quiet time might even sound like verse 13. Look back in your text. Your quiet time might sound like verse 13. Have you ever, read it, have you ever had a quiet time that sounds like verse 13? If you haven't, you will one day. And God doesn't always give us the answers to our life. Okay, and God God doesn't always give us the easy life that we hope that he does. But look in verse 14, what he says. He says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Satisfy us in the morning. That is a daily practice, and then it will lead to a rejoicing all of our days. So here's the truth that we find here. A daily discipline of spending time with God will lead to a lifetime of rejoicing. It might not feel like it in that day. It might not feel like it on those gloomy days, but a daily discipline of spending time with God, even if it sounds like verse 13, will lead to a lifetime of rejoicing. We must be about renewing that relationship every single 
day. Now listen, I, I want to tell you, as we're, as we're here, God loves you. He's talking about, he says, um, satisfy us with, in the morning with your steadfast love. God loves you. And he proved that love to you by sending his son Jesus to be born in a manger, to live that sinless life that you and I couldn't, and then pay the punishment for our sins. So I don't care how gloomy your day gets. A savior was born in a manger so that he could, could uh, defeat the very sin and death that Moses is complaining and lamenting about. Okay? We always, no matter what the despair is around us, we always have our hope because of Jesus. And we have Jesus because God loves you. Don't ever forget that. Regardless of how gloomy your day gets, don't ever forget it and don't ever stop pursuing that love every day. Keep tracking through. In point number three, we see that we must restore what was lost. Now, little disclaimer before we get into the text. Uh, this isn't actually something that we do. The other four, the other three, we do those. This isn't something we do. This is actually something that God, a work of God that we can look forward to. Okay? We can't do this. It's a work of God that we look forward to. Restoring what was lost. Verse 15 says, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. God is in the restoration business. I had a professor in college who said this over and over and over again, and I'll never forget it. He always told us, God doesn't make junk, and he does not junk what he made. Okay? God doesn't make junk, and he doesn't junk what he made. You and I are not junk, and he's not giving up on us, and he's not sending that to the junkyard. Okay? God is in the restoration business. He is doing a work of restoration in each one of us. Now, I, love, I think restoration is fascinating, specifically restoration of classic cars. Okay? It is fascinating to me to see um, a, a car that doesn't run and is rusting through, and someone who can take that and restore it into running condition, and I mean, put a new paint job on it, and pristine. It is amazing to watch it happen, and I I think it's fascinating. I'd like to try my hand at it someday, and I will probably be terrible at it, but someone who is good at it, it's amazing to watch. God's doing the same thing in us. We, We are rusted, we're sinful, we're broken. God is in the process of restoring that and making us new, okay? It's a process. It's probably gonna hurt a little bit right now, but it will come, it will be fulfilled one day later. So, so we look towards uh, the restoration of what was lost. Now listen, this verse, hear me, this verse is not a promise to give back to you everything that was lost. But it is a hopeful reality. Many times in our life, the areas of our life that are the darkest despair turn into our greatest hope. This is not a promise that God's going to give you back everything you lost. But it is a hopeful reality that we as believers can look forward to. Lastly, we see point number four. We realize the work. Verse 16 says, Let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of your hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of your hands. So he says, let your work be shown to your servants. So whose work are we talking about? Crowd participation. Whose work are we talking about? God's work, okay? That's right. We're to be about the Lord's work, not our own. This is not a prayer that says, Lord, please help my bad day so that I can get back to doing the things that I want to do. 
Sadly, that's actually what most of our prayers usually are. At least what my prayers are. I mean, I don't like what's going on. God, will you fix it so I can get back to doing my own stuff and what I want to do? That is not what Moses is praying here. He is saying, uh, in spite of all this, let your work be shown to your servant. And then later on, that work, God's work, becoming our work. We see the repetition here where he says three times in these verses, the repetition shows us that this is actually the climax of this passage. The depressing nature of death and sin and the toil of life, that's not the point of this passage. The, the climax and the point of this passage here, he's emphasizing for us, is that we must realize the work of God. I'm convinced that we have an army of Christians wasting their lives because they're too busy to do the Lord's work. If we want to redeem the time, we must realize the work of God. The repetition here is pointing to the key. We must, we must look to God's work and make it our own. Listen, if we want to make disciples of our neighbors and the nations, then we better get to work, okay? If we want to make disciples of our neighbors and the nations, we have a lot of work to do. And let me just say, um, side note, being about the work of God doesn't mean just inviting people to come to church so that your pastor will tell them about Jesus. Being about the work of God is you, each one of you and myself, all of us, going out to our areas of influence outside this building and taking Jesus to them and going and telling them yourself, okay? Yes, invite people to come to church. Please do. But that's not the only work of the Lord. You also, the Great Commission tells you that you get to be part of God's work. That's exciting. That's awesome. You get to be a part of God's work. You need to realize that work and and apply your life to it. Listen, Satan wants you to be so caught up in your eight to five that you completely don't even know the unbeliever that works with you who's on the fast track to hell, okay? God, Satan wants you to be so caught up in your eight to five and what you're doing that you don't even know the, the broken, hurting, single mother that works in the very cubicle next to you. Okay, there's so many things that can distract us. It's so easy, oh listen, it's so easy to get absorbed um, in Sunday afternoon football. Listen, I know the Chiefs are playing today. It's so easy to be consumed by Sunday afternoon football that we completely miss the Lord's work of loving and shepherding our very own families. This one is also me. It's so easy to stay up extra late binge-watching Netflix so that you are too tired and sleepy in the morning to wake up and spend time with God and renew that relationship on a daily, um, daily level. Okay? It's so easy to get caught up in our own work. Students, this is for you too. Listen, I've been here too. It's so easy to get so caught up in your homework and schoolwork that your Bible begins to collect dust on it. That is not being about the Lord's work. It's so easy for us to get caught up in our friends and our social life that we miss the opportunities that God is giving us to join his work. Our sinful default is to get caught up in our own life that we miss the work that God has us and the mission he's calling us to. When was the last time you prayed and it sounded like this verse here, saying, Lord, let your work be shown to your servant. If it's been a long time since you've prayed that prayer, then pray it today. He goes on and says, he says, let your work be shown to your servant and your glorious power to their children. Okay, Here, here's, here's something cool. When we're about God's work, 
we will get to see his power on display. When we're about his work, we get to see his power on display. Not only that, future generations will get to see it. Children here is not just talking about your immediate family. It is talking about a future generation. Okay? Moses was standing at the edge of the promised land, and he had watched an entire generation of disobedient Israelites die off in the wilderness, and he was watching a new generation ready to carry the torch into the promised land. And Moses' hope and prayer here was to see the people of God doing the work of God so that future generations would see his power on display. Moses wanted to see the people of God doing the work of God so the future generations would see his power on display. Listen, we're not standing at the edge of the promised land, but the same is true for us. Our prayer should be to see the people of God doing the work of God so that future generations can see his glorious power on display. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.